Colossians chapter 3, and this morning we'll be in verses 18 through 21. Paul writes, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, it is clear. We know that your word is true. It is authoritative. But God, I ask that you would empower us by your spirit to rightly understand and to wisely apply these truths to our lives. God, we confess that often our hearts are hard and we are uninterested in obeying your commands. I pray that you would give us soft hearts today. Hearts that are softened by the truth of the gospel, which we have sung about this morning, that it is through the death of your son, Jesus Christ, that our sins are washed away, and we are given hope of eternal life. And Lord, as those who have received such mercy, pray that you would make us submissive, soft, thankful, and eager to obey. We pray that your spirit now would keep our hearts open and awake and attentive to the preaching of your word. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. We are today often obsessed with the how-tos. I don't know about you, but I get on YouTube all the time to look up, for instance, how to replace a rearview mirror in a 2004 Sienna. And somebody out there has 12 steps on exactly how to do it. I look up how to replace the hard drive in my laptop or how to cut little girl's hair. And oftentimes, we bring that same attitude to the scriptures when it comes to marriage and family. And, And that's a good impulse Many of us look to the word of God and we say, Lord, I want to do it the right way. Just tell me what to do. Just show me how. And that is a good impulse. And there are many places in scripture where we do find much practical instruction on how to raise our kids and how to love our wives. But Colossians 3 really does not speak to the question of how. I don't know if you noticed as we were reading through it, but Paul simply affirms what we must do and tells us why we must do it. And that why is very, very important. If you've been with us for any amount of time through this series in Colossians, then you will know that the central theme of this book is the supremacy of Christ, the supremacy of his person, and the sufficiency of his work, that Christ is overall and Christ is enough. So in light of that, Paul has shown us that we must reject any claim that the death and resurrection of Christ is not enough to save us. We reject Christless philosophies. We reject empty human traditions. We reject powerless religious rituals. We reject any supposed mystical experiences that some people claim are effective or necessary as far as reconciling us to God. We know that our sin has been nailed to the cross. We know that our spiritual enemies have been defeated and put to shame through the triumph of Christ. We know that our dead hearts have been made alive by the decree of the Father and the power of the Spirit because of the work of the Son. So Jesus is all we need, and Jesus is supreme. He, in all things, as Paul says, must be preeminent. That's a summary of chapter 1 and 2, and a good chunk of chapter 3 of Colossians. But after laying this theological groundwork in chapter 3, Paul turns next to practical matters. Because the truths that he's been teaching us about Jesus, 
they must lead directly to transformation. What we believe is to affect how we behave. Those who embrace Christ as supreme, as we've seen over the last few weeks, will put on new virtues. Paul says, put on then, as God's chosen, beloved ones, hearts of compassion and humility and patience and love. Remember, we saw all those virtues, or, or those, yes, those virtues. And Paul tells us, after that, we must live according to new values, that the peace of Christ is to rule in us, that the word of Christ is to dwell in us, that we're to do everything in the name of Christ for his glory. And then as we get to our text this morning, we find that those who embrace Christ as supreme must come to honor Christ in their family relationships. The supremacy of Christ touches every area of life, including the home. The point this morning is that the supremacy of Christ must be displayed in the home. It must be displayed in the home. Paul addresses four different groups here, and each is given a singular command. Wives are to submit. Husbands are to love. Children are to obey. Parents or or fathers or parents, are to not provoke. And we can really break these into two categories to look at this morning. First, the marriage relationship, and then secondly, the parent-child relationship. In verses 18 and 19, we see the supremacy of Christ must be displayed in the marriage relationship. And that encompasses both wives and husbands. Look at verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The words that are translated here as wives and husbands in verses 18 and 19, are the same Greek words that are used to, to connotate men and women. There's not different words for men and husbands or wives and, and women. It's the same word. But it's obvious from the context here that this is not an instruction to women in general to submit to women, men in general. This is rather directed specifically to wives to submit to their husbands. Similarly, to how if you heard me say, I love tacos and I love my wife, you know I mean very different things by that word love. I hope. That means very different things. Uh, and it's simple to, to discern that because of the context, because of the, the focus of, of what's being discussed. And it is that case here in Colossians 3. Paul's talking about the family. So this command for wives to submit to their husbands is not found only here. It's found many places in Scripture. 1 Peter 3.1 says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands. In Titus chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says that older women are to train the younger women, among other things, to be submissive to their own husbands. Ephesians 5, verse 24, Paul says, As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So what does this mean? Well, the word for submit has the idea here of willingly placing yourself under authority. It's not the same word for obedience. There is a different word for that, and Paul will use it when he's speaking to the children here in a minute. But this idea of submission is actually a precursor to obedience. It comes before obedience and produces obedience. It describes a commitment to follow, a willingness to embrace God's appointed leadership it's the same word that's used to describe how we all are to relate to the governing authorities. In Romans 13, 1, it says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. That's the same word for submission. It's the same word used to describe how all things are to be brought under the authority of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, 28, it says, when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all 
in all. All things brought under the power of Christ, and then Christ presenting all things to the Father so that he is all and in all. That's the same word for submission that we find here in Colossians. And it's the same word that James uses to describe how we all are to respond to God himself. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So wives are commanded to willingly bring themselves under the authority of their husbands, to submit to their leadership, and to defer to them as God's appointed head of the family. So the question arises, really? Does that mean what it sounds like it means? And is that for us today? It's interesting, there's a a pastor of a very large Methodist church in Kansas City who recently said, we approach scripture in three ways. There's this first bucket of things that were never true to begin with. He would think that the Bible has problems. And then there's this other bucket that has things that were true for them at that time, but not true for us today. And then there's this third bucket of things that are always true in all times for all people in all places. The problem with that view is that who gets to decide what goes in what bucket? Very conveniently, the one who's reading the scriptures. But we believe that everything goes in that third bucket, that all things in Scripture are always true for all people in all times in every place. And that includes this exhortation that wives submit to their husbands. This is not a cultural artifact from the first century. It is God's good and holy word to us today. Our culture will see this instruction as demeaning. They will claim that it signifies somehow that women are inferior They would scoff at this teaching as being outdated, sexist, opening the door to manipulation and control and even abuse. And perhaps some of you here this morning even bristle when these words are read in your hearing. But if God is good, and he is, if God is wise, and he is, and if God is God, which he is, then we need to listen and trust that his design is good and wise and authoritative for us. But let us be crystal clear what this does not mean. It does not mean that women are inferior. It does not mean they are less capable. If you knew my wife and knew me, then you would know that. It does not mean that women are less intelligent or that wives make no contributions to the decisions in the home. It does not mean that wives are to, are to follow mindlessly or that they're not allowed to have opinions or express desires or even share concerns and make appeals to their husbands. It does not mean that wives must follow their husbands into sin or that husbands have a right to be domineering or abusive or demeaning towards their wives. What this does mean, what this does mean, and this is why this is so hated, is that for the married woman, self cannot be supreme. Because Christ is. Self cannot be supreme. Christ is. That is at the heart of this command. It's it's in the DNA of every sentence in this letter that Paul is writing. That Christ is supreme. And if Jesus is supreme, you know what that means about me? I'm not. I'm not. Anyone who embraces the lordship of Jesus Christ must embrace his design for the home. Meaning that the husband is called to serve as a leader And the wife is to follow his leadership, submitting to his authority. And in this way, the supremacy of Christ is displayed in the home. What's the reasoning for this command that Paul gives? Look back with me at verse 18. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. As is fitting in the Lord. 
Paul's expressed this concern already in Colossians. In chapter 1, verse 10, he prayed for them that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now Paul's simply showing us what that looks like. Here's what it looks like to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, to walk in him as you have received him. A refusal to submit to your husband or an unwillingness or a hesitancy to obey this command, that is simply not compatible with our Christian confession. That Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the ruler of the universe, and that he's not only our savior, but he is also our master. Those who honestly appraise this issue will realize this. I was recently reminded this week of an article that was written by former president Jimmy Carter back in 2009, an article in which he explicitly distanced himself from the traditional teaching of scripture in terms of the roles of women in the home and in the church. And you know what the title of that article was? Losing My Religion for Equality. I think he understood that the confession of Christ as Lord and the teaching of scripture is not compatible with what many today want to trumpet in terms of gender roles in the home and in the church. But Paul says, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Why is this so hard? It is hard, and many of you women can nod. You know this is difficult, this is hard, even for those of us who want to follow Jesus, even those, uh, among those of us who are trying to do the right thing. This is a difficult task. Why is that? I think, first of all, this is a direct attack against our pride, our autonomy, that spirit of independence that we have. So instead, we must learn to put on, as verse 12 says in chapter 3, humility. Learn to put on humility. This is hard because of fear. It feels risky and vulnerable to submit yourself to the leadership of an imperfect man who doesn't know everything and who is sometimes wrong. We need faith, the kind of faith that we see in chapter 2, verse 7, as Paul urges us that we would be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. This is difficult for us, in addition, because of our flesh. This honestly does not come naturally. I don't know about you, but none of my kids came out of the womb ready and eager to obey. It's in our flesh to resist authority. It's not natural, which means we need to learn to walk in the Spirit and depend on His strength. As Paul prayed in chapter 1, verse 11, Paul says, May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And many of you women can nod and say, Yes, if I'm going to follow my husband, it's going to take endurance and patience and a God-given joy. I need God's power and strength to help me with that. This doesn't come naturally from our flesh, and we need God's help to do it. Because we have, many of us, bad habits built in. Bad habits in terms of how we respond, uh, how we dialogue, what our attitudes and priorities are within the heart. We need to put off those old things and instead put on new habits, new patterns of living that are in accordance with the confession 
that we proclaim that Jesus is Lord. This is hard for us because of social attitudes and external pressures. We live in a society where this kind of living and lifestyle will be mocked, ridiculed, and some will even say it's dangerous and harmful. We need the indwelling word to reshape our attitudes. We need the positive peer pressure of the church. We need the community of faith to create a place where there is a new normal. This is not normal in the world, but it should be normal in the church. There should be a new expectation, new values that come with loving rebuke when we are disobedient and encouragement for those who are weak. We acknowledge this morning that this is a difficult command to obey, but this is ultimately about the supremacy of Christ. Wives, if you're having a hard time submitting to your husband, that's not primarily a marriage problem. It is not primarily a communication issue. It is primarily a problem with the lordship of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. If Christ is supreme, then here's what will happen, sisters. Then you will value his will over yours. You will desire his glory over you getting your way. You will come to trust him and therefore be fully prepared to submit to the leadership of your husband. So those among you who are married women this morning, if you've been resistant to the leadership of your husband, that in light of what God says in his word, you need to repent before God of your unwillingness to submit, first of all, to Christ. You need to ask him to soften you, to silence your fears, to increase your faith, and to humble your heart. And then you really need to approach your husband and confess your sin against him. And seek his forgiveness and commit yourself to uphold the supremacy of Christ and not the supremacy of self in your marriage. But it's not just the wives that Paul addresses. He's got words for the husbands as well. In verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. The instruction to husband comes, comes in two parts, a positive and a negative. The positive command is love your wives. doesn't take a... Uh, doctrine of ministry to explain what this means we can read it and we know what it says love your wives it's a verb it's an action he doesn't say to be in love with your wives as wonderful as that is he says rather we are to actively love our wives but unlike the command to the wives and unlike the coming instructions for parents and children notice that there's no grounds given for this command he doesn't tell us why he doesn't give us a reason or a motivation It's simply assumed that if you are truly a Christian, if you've been born again, then you already know why this is important. As those who have received the unconditional, undeserved, sacrificial, faithful, eternal love of God in Christ, then brothers, we have every reason in the world to love other people and especially our wives. You know the words of Paul in Ephesians 5 that the love of Christ is the model the standard, the bar that's been set for how we are to love our wives. We love our wives in the way that Christ loved the church. Sacrificially, humbly, serving. Husbands, our love towards our wives must be demonstrated in the sacrificial, humble action that has as its aim the eternal good of our wives. This is not the helping them so that they will do something for us. 
A love that has as its aim the eternal good and joy of our wives, which means we will even love them in ways that is messy and difficult and sometimes complicated and love that costs us something because we want what is best for them. Does that describe your attitude, your words, your actions towards your wife? Do you humbly and sacrificially serve her? Does your love has as its aim her eternal good and joy in Christ? Because that is how Christ loved us, and that is how we must love our wives. But look at the negative side of the coin. He says, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Do not be harsh with them. Being harsh with our wives shows a profound lack of love. How does this harshness show up? It can show up in a lot of ways. Probably one of the most common ways is in our words. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So our harshness can often be shown with critical words. Angry words, venting our frustrations verbally on our wives. This, this harshness co- can come out in other ways as well. High expectations with no provision of, your, of help. When I get home, I expect you to have this done and this done and this done, to have all these problems solved, to have all these plans made, because I shouldn't have to help you with any of this. And so you've heard the phrase sque- squeezing blood out of a turnip. You know, demanding something that's impossible to give. Sometimes some husbands treat their wives that way. Impossibly high expectations with no provision of help. That is harsh. We should not treat our wives as servants, as personal assistants, expecting them to continue our, our mother's ministry of martyrdom, picking up after us and always hovering around us to meet our every need. Do not treat your wives that way. Sometimes this harshness comes out among some men, in blaming everything on their wives. Do you treat your wife as a scapegoat? Is it always her fault and never yours? Brothers, that is harsh. It's not loving our wives. Let's be honest for just a minute. All these behaviors do show love, but it is not a love for our wives. It's a love for ourselves which is a problem because love for self reveals not just a lack of love for our wife, even worse, it exposes a lack of love for Christ. Such harsh behavior shows that Christ is not preeminent in the home. Rather, the husband is. You have made yourself supreme and not Christ when it's your kingdom come, when it's your will be done, or else everyone will suffer the wrath of the judge, which is you, the harsh husband. Christ-like love is patient and kind and forgives and forbears and is gracious and serves and is slow to anger. Why? Why? Because the, the man who is loved by Christ has come to hold Christ as supreme. Not his own comfort, not his own plans, not his own glory. He is content with what Christ provides and is not looking to his wife to meet his every need. Which means, therefore, that rather than needing her, demanding from her, using her, treating her like a means to your own selfish ends, if Christ is supreme and you are content in him and submitted to him, then you will be free to love her and give to her and serve her. And when you love your wife like this, you will display to her and to your children and to your church and to the world a heart that has been changed by the gospel because this is a supernatural thing. This is not natural. You will display to your wife and your children and your church and the world the power of the Holy Spirit at work because it is the fruit of the Spirit that is love 
loving and joyful and patient and kind and meek. You will show a man who is more committed to Christ and his word and his will and his glory than you are committed to yourself. So if you're a harsh man this morning, you need to first of all repent of your idolatry and your pride because you have exalted yourself as supreme. You need to confess that sin with fear and trembling before God. God who says, my glory I will not give to another because you've been competing with him for glory. You need to receive the forgiveness of Christ. And then you need to go with tears to your wife and confess your sin to her. Confess your sin against her. And pledge to love her as Christ commands. Allow your mind to be renewed by the word. You need to learn to depend on the spirit as he changes you day by day, bit by bit, into the image of his son. Husbands, if Christ is supreme, then we will love them, we will love our wives, and we will not be harsh with them. The supremacy of Christ must be displayed in the home. And that happens when wives joyfully submit to their husbands. And when husbands humbly love and serve and lead their wives. But it's not just the marriage relationship. Secondly, this morning, the supremacy of Christ, Paul tells us, must be displayed in the parent-child relationship. We see this in verse 20 and 21. He addresses children first. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. I think it's amazing here that Paul speaks directly to the children. Imagine, kids, if you were back in Colossae in the first century, and all the, the believers got together just like this, and someone stood up just like this and says, hey, you guys remember the Apostle Paul? You know, we've benefited so much from his ministry, but he wrote us a letter, and here's what he says. And as the kids are sitting there, and they're trying to pay attention, all of a sudden their ears perk up because Paul is speaking to them. Kids, God is speaking to you today, directly to you. And church, we should not overlook that. Too often we wrongly assume that scripture is for the adults, that its truths and commands are just for those who are older and more mature, and that children are not really responsible. Children are not held accountable for what the word says. But that's simply not true. Paul here speaks directly to the children. My wife was recently reading in 2 Kings, and she reminded me of this story, saying, wow, I forgot this was in the Bible. There is a prophet named Elisha who's traveling, and a bunch of boys come out of a city, and they're mocking him. In the old King James, it says, go up, thou bald head. They were making fun of him. Elijah had gone up into heaven. Elisha was still, still left behind. And they were saying, why don't you go up to heaven, baldy? And they were mocking him, which shows that they were mocking God because they were mocking his messenger and disdaining his message. And God judged those boys. It says that two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. I don't know if we have that on flannel graph downstairs. You know, two bears coming out and tearing up these children. But it shows us that these children in Elisha's day, who demonstrated a disdain for God and his word, experienced the wrath and the judgment of God. Children are not exempt. And this is why we in our church want children, as soon as they are able, to sit in here with us and be under the preaching and the teaching of the word. Paul speaks to the children of the church and commands you, kids, to obey your parents. Just like wives submitting to husbands and husbands loving your wives, kids, this is the way that you can display the supremacy of Christ. Because when you don't obey, who does that show that you think is supreme? Self. Self. When you do obey, 
you show that you believe Christ is supreme. And notice the scope of this obedience. Kids, how much are you supposed to obey? You're supposed to obey sometimes or in some things. What does the Bible say? Children, obey your parents. What does it say next in verse 20? In everything. In everything. Not just the times when the child agrees with the parents. Not just the times when the child understands why. Not even just the times when the child has had their nap and is not hungry and is in a familiar environment. No, Paul says children obey in everything. Because the child who rebels against their parents is ultimately expressing a rebellion against the lordship of Jesus Christ. Childish defiance. Kids, when you disobey your parents, you're really shouting at the sky, I will be God and I will do what I want to do right now. Children. Obey your parents in all things. But even though Paul is speaking directly to the kids here, this has massive implications for parents as well. Parents, we are responsible to teach our children this truth and to hold them accountable to it. If I can speak just very directly for a moment, some of you are teaching your children that it is okay for them to defy the authority of Christ because you will tolerate disobedience in your home which means that's what you're teaching them. You treat disobedience as a minor thing. You allow your kids to refuse your commands, to ignore your instruction, to disobey, to express disrespect towards you as God's authority in their lives. Some of you negotiate with your children, teaching them by implication that obedience is only required when you fully understand and when you've reached a point of mutual agreement with your authority. Some of you are allowing your children to assert the supremacy of self instead of teaching them that the essence of following Jesus consists of denying self and taking up our cross and following Jesus. Too often what we want to call grace in our homes is actually a lack of zeal for the glory of Christ and a shameful apathy towards the idolatry of our children. Parents, we can't change our children's hearts We can't do that. And patience is essential. And no child is or can be perfect. But we must not allow our children to naively grow up thinking that obedience is optional. This is not about controlling their behavior. This is about teaching them that Christ is supreme. Not their cute but sinful little selves. Notice why children are to obey. Children, obey your parents in everything. Why? For this pleases the Lord. Yes, obedience will bring blessing to our kids. I mean, Ephesians 6 tells us that there is a promise of blessing for those who obey and honor their parents. And yes, obedient children will be a blessing to their families. Proverbs tells us how the wise son brings joy and and gratitude and, and blessing to his parents, but a foolish son brings grief and shame. But the ultimate reason why children must obey is because this is what pleases the Lord. His glory is preeminent, and he must be pleased. So kids in the room, are you listening this morning? God wants you to display the supremacy of Christ, to show the world that Jesus is first place in all things, and you can show the world that by obeying your parents. And if you've been disobeying your parents, arguing with them, fighting with them, ignoring them, then you need to confess that is sin against God, and you need to confess your sin to your parents. 
and ask God to change you and help you to obey, to give you new desires and to give you the strength to do what is right. So children, obey your parents. This will display the supremacy of Christ. But then Paul speaks to the parents. He addresses fathers specifically, but I think this applies really to all parents. Paul holds fathers as responsible for the leadership of the home and assumes that fathers and mothers will be together in the parenting of their children. So I think this applies to moms and dads. And I know we even have some single moms in the room. This is really for all parents. He says, do not provoke your children, in verse 21, lest they become discouraged. Friends, again, if Christ is not supreme, then this relationship of parent and child will be effective, affected negatively. He says, do not provoke your children. How do we provoke our kids? We could probably go around the room and suggest a whole bunch of potential answers. Let me just prime the pump for you, but you think of how this might happen in your home. But we can provoke our children, parents, when we treat them as problems to be fixed instead of people to be loved. That will provoke and discourage our children. We can provoke them when we treat them as an inconvenience, when we don't have time for them because they're always in the way of what we're trying to get done, when we won't let them help us because they are inefficient and not as good at it as we are. And we provoke our children when we overload them with the burden of making us look good, when we use them as tools to impress other people, or when we look to our children to somehow make us feel validated and fulfilled. Don't use your children that way. That will provoke them. We provoke our children when we smother them because of our personal fears and anxieties. We provoke our children when we fail to train them and discipline them for life because we set them up for failure and regret. We provoke our children when we fail to instruct them when everything is because I told you so and we never unfold to them the wisdom of God's word and help them to understand his truth. All of these things can provoke or exasperate our children. And all of them reveal that Christ is not supreme in the home. I've heard my dad talk a lot about parenting, and he always uses the illustration of a plant. And he says it this way, if the child is supreme in the home, then you will either be a permissive parent who never prunes the plant, which means there's no fruit, there's missed potential, and that plant is unhealthy, or if the child is supreme, you might smother the child, like overwatering a plant. How many of you guys have killed a plant in your house by giving it too much water? A lot of us probably have. It rots the roots. It's bad for the plant. And if the child is supreme in your home, you might either um, be overly permissive or you might smother them. Both of those things are, are wrong. It shows Christ is not supreme, the child is. But in some of our homes, the parent is supreme. And that, if you are a parent who sees self as supreme, then you will be perhaps either a negligent parent who never waters and never prunes this plant, or you will be a domineering parent who over prunes and cuts too much away and never gives the plant a chance to grow because you're controlling, domineering. That shows that the parent is supreme. But if Christ is supreme in your home, then you will seek to be faithful in lovingly providing the care and the instruction and the correction that your children need. If Christ is supreme, we will seek God's glory in and through our child's good. So fathers and mothers, do not provoke your children. Let Christ be supreme in your home. And let his supremacy shape the way that you parent your kids. We must not provoke them. And Paul tells us why. So that they not be discouraged. So they not be discouraged. 
Parents, we want to be contributors to our, our children's faith and joy in Christ. We don't want to be an obstacle. We don't want to lay a stumbling block before them. How many kids have had to overcome the damage caused by an absent father or an apathetic mother or angry parents or abusive parents? God forbid that we would lay an obstacle in our children's path because of our failures to faithfully love and train and shepherd and provide. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. There never has been. But I just want you to think for a moment, how might your parenting change if Christ was supreme in your home and not your children? How might your parenting change if Christ was supreme in your home and not you? How might your practice of discipline and instruction change if it was about the glory of Christ and not about convenience or control or about venting your frustrations or about avoiding your worst fears? How might your attitudes change? How might your conversations and concerns change as a parent? Friends, Christ must be preeminent in the home. And we have an opportunity to display the supremacy of Christ as we parent our children. Some of us may need to repent today of our idolatry because we've worshipped our children and made them supreme, or we've worshipped ourselves and exalted ourselves in the home. We may even need to approach our children and ask their forgiveness for our sin and our idolatry. And we need to pray as fathers, as mothers, as families, that we would grow in keeping Christ at the center of our homes. I want to speak for a moment just to some of you today who may no longer have a spouse or who have not had a spouse, you're single. Some of those of you today who may not have children or maybe you don't have children in the home anymore, what does this text mean for you? Because you might be tempted to skip over parts of this and say, yeah, that all sounds great. I hope those families can apply some of this and benefit from this. But I think that this text is for all of us today. It's for the church. This was read not just to the families in Colossae, It was read publicly to the entire gathered body. I want you to think about this. If Christ is supreme for you as a single person or as an empty nester, if Christ is supreme, if your heart is fully committed to the glory of Christ, then this means that you are going to care that Christ is preeminent in the families around you in the church. And you will be invested in this as well. Here's the reality. We need your prayers. We need your encouragement. We need your accountability. Do not think that topics like marriage and parenting are off limits for you because you're single. You can ask those questions. We need your exhortations. To be clear, we don't need your opinions about something you might lack experience in, but we do need to be reminded of the clear truths of Scripture that we sometimes struggle to apply. And that is totally in inbounds for you to help us with we need that very simply we need your help and the church would be weaker without you our families and marriages would be weaker without you so as part of the body you are a key contributor to the health of the church and the growth of the saints it's not that you're obligated to us because of the value of the family that's not it you are rather obligated to engage in this ministry because the supremacy of christ must be displayed jesus is worth it And that means that you, even if you don't have children or don't have a spouse, it means that you too will care that Christ is shown to be supreme in the marriages and in the families 
of this church. Brothers and sisters, the commands here are laid out clearly before us in this text. They are not optional. This is not just helpful advice. These are essential expressions of a heart that is fully committed to the supremacy of Christ. If we see ourselves as supreme, then wives will reject their husband's leadership. Husbands will be harsh and unloving. Children will be disobedient. Parents will be harsh with their kids and provoke them and discourage them. And we will look just like the families that are out there in the world. No different at all. But if Christ is supreme in our homes, then by his grace, with the help of his spirit, as we look to his word and seek to obediently obey, we will be able to to display something that is radically different than what is out there in the world around us. And you know what will happen? Christ will be shown to be preeminent. That doesn't mean everything will be perfect in your family. It doesn't mean that your kids will be angels who grow up to always love God and do everything right. It doesn't mean your marriage will be easy. It doesn't mean that there won't be heartache and even failures and difficulties. But it does mean that Christ's glory will be magnified in all of it. And that is what we want. That is what we want. That Christ in all things would be seen to be preeminent. Please close your eyes, bow your heads with me. Before we pray, I just want to address perhaps some in the room today. Because what you need this morning is not for your marriage to change or your parenting to change. Some of you today need to come to Christ for the first time. And to acknowledge that he is supreme and you are not. Some of you perhaps have never repented of your sin and confessed your need for a savior. You've never come to the foot of the cross and cast the full weight of your faith and trust on Jesus to save you. And if that's you this morning, I, I hope you're not hearing us say that you need to get your family together. What you need to hear this morning is that Christ is supreme. And there are two kinds of people in the world, those who bow the knee to Christ and those who worship self. If you are among those who to this point has worshiped self, then you need to know that there is a day coming when Christ is going to return. And all the world will be judged. And Philippians says that in that day, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is an end coming to your worship of self. And that is a day of judgment for those who have rejected Christ. It's a day of salvation and joy and blessing for those of us who know him. But if you don't know him, then I want to plead with you today. I want to plead with you and urge you to be reconciled to God, to confess your sinfulness and your need, and to receive with an open heart, a humble heart, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The scriptures tell us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is supreme, And that if we believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, if we're trusting in his work to save us, then Romans 10 says we will be saved. That is a promise. Do you believe in Christ? Have you received him as your savior? Have you bowed the knee to him as supreme? If not, then your marriage and your parenting is the least of your concerns right now. And what God wants you to do today is to come and repent and believe. Then, 
God will begin his work of changing you. That faith will trickle down into every area of your life and your marriage and your parenting and all these other areas will start to be affected. But until Christ takes his place on the throne in your life, those other things are besides the point. Heavenly Father, if there are some among us today who do not know you, I pray that today you would convict them of their sin, that they would recognize their need to bow the knee to Christ. God, I pray you would soften them and draw them to yourself and save sinners today. Lord, show your glory in the changing of hearts that are, to this point, dead and enslaved to sin and blind to the truth. Lord, display the supremacy of your Son through the power of the gospel in cleansing sinners and making them alive, making them new, joining them to your body, your family. We pray that you would do this, Lord, because only you can. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, I pray that we would each day seek to display the supremacy of Christ in our lives, that we would be eager to obey these very simple but very difficult commands to submit, to love, to obey, to not provoke our children. God, empower us by your spirit to do what must be done in our homes so that you, Jesus, can be seen as supreme. We pray all this in your exalted name. Amen.